Okay, friends, we are back with another superbly stellar episode of Ooh. V8 Radio. I'm Kevin Oster, your host, joined always by our esteemed co-host, Mr. Mike Cuball clark And I feel honored to be here after that adjective. <laughs> yes, well, <laughs> interestingly enough, uh, that adjective was a, uh, a listener suggestion. Was it? Yes, and it turns out that it's, it actually is going to fit the, uh, the theme of the show a little bit. Oh boy, I can't wait. Unknowing to that uh, the listener, so Trevor, our, our lead technician over here at V8 Speed and Resto, uh, I came in to, to do this broadcast today, and he said, uh, oh, you're going on the air with Mike? And I said, yeah. And he said, what's the show going to be? And I said, I'm not <laughs> sure yet. And he looks at me and he said, how about Superbly Stellar? Right on. All right. Wait, well done, Trevor. There you go. See, we, uh, Notice that I think I've uh, I've lost my adjective privileges after that supercalifragilistic <laughs> nonsense. <laughs> well, I had I had nothing prepared, so I was fully ready to hand it off, and was quite happy that we had some listener participation today. That's fine yeah, with me. Yeah, me too, because I didn't have one prepared. I was hoping you had something. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> I, I barely made it out with a trivia question this time, but I do have one. Okay. Uh, as do I. Uh, well, so typically on this show, we uh, we talk about cars and uh, the lifestyle and maybe a tangent or two, uh, which is a preface probably of what's going to happen today. <laughs> uh, but we try to hook the listeners in with a trivia question that uh, we throw out in the beginning and, and, you know, bribe people to listen to the end of the show for the answer. And you indicated you have a trivia question. Indeed. Indeed, I do, sir. And are you ready for it? I am. All right. Well, here we go. Kevin, you're a Buick guy, so this probably one will this one will be right at home with you. Right, and it'll be um, really bad if I get it wrong. So thanks. Yeah, I'm sure you'll get this one right. Um, as we've seen uh, throughout the years, uh, Buick has had a, a styling cue on their cars. They've had these either three or four portholes on the side of the car on either side. What is the official name of that porthole? And, as a bonus, not necessarily a requirement for the question, in what model year did they make their debut? Well, the technical term for the porthole is a Buick Ventiport. So that one I'm pretty sure Continue. On. <laughs> uh, but as far as their appearance, uh, I'm going to guess that that's a good part of this question. So I'm glad you made... You know, if I if I already got it right, the bonus part, uh, I'm gonna say uh, 1949 is my guess. 1949 is your guess. Let yeah. us write that down. Yeah, 48 All or 49, right. and and the designation between the three holes and the four holes went along with the status of the model. So the more fancy and expensive the car, the more ventiports it received. I see. I see. So well, you, that's that's very interesting, Kevin. We'll. We'll have to see at the end of the show if you're correct or not. Yes. All right. I'll, I'll wait. I'll, I'll be here for that. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, seeing that you were kind enough to choose one that's right up my alley, mm-hmm. uh, I'll return by saying, you're a Mustang guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> but uh, in your defense, you were also, uh, how do I want to say it? You were around in the 90s, so... I, I was around in the 90s. <laughs> we're going to, uh, to go to that decade and say, um, you know. in, in 1994, 
that was a year that a new Mustang design debuted. And prior to the 94 Mustang coming out, there was a concept version that uh, ended up being a different car because there was something unique about it. There was a concept Mustang and there was something different about this car and it ended up not being the 94 Mustang. So what was unique about it and what did it become? Oh boy. So it became another production car? Yep. It was it was produced. Okay. Um and it was for the 94 model year? Correct. Oh brother. Yeah, I'm sure a Mustang guy, buddy. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> let's see here. What was unique about it and what did it become? Oh, and gosh. and uh, uh to to clarify the the name had already existed as a car, but the, okay. the particular prototype that was supposed to be the 94 Mustang ended up being this other. Oh, heavens to Betsy. Um, I will say, <laughs> oh gosh, what was unique about it is it was... Uh, stop with it. <laughs> you can hear that? Yes, I hear that. Well, Everybody yeah. hears that. God dang it. The guys out in the shop hear that. Yeah, 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 Kelly yeah. hears it. Everybody hears it, Kevin. Everybody well, hears your mockery. It's not mockery, actually. I'm doing some acoustic evaluation here today. I do have to point out that this is the first episode coming to you from our new V8 studios uh, and shop as we touched on in previous episodes we did some remodeling here and uh now coming to you from my new office which is phenomenal uh and also very live this room has a lot of presence as they say so presence you can hear the room and i don't know how much the uh the reverberation is going to be a hindrance to our broadcast for future episodes from v8 radio so Mm -hmm. so i was just testing that with a little musical interlude Okay, I will say that what was unique about this car, this concept, is it was a two-seater and it became the Thunderbird. Okay, I will write that yeah, down. Yeah, whatever. I, you know what, that's way off. But Thunderbird. Well, it's, there's, yeah. there's plenty of logic there. I like that. Mm-hmm. That could have been what happened. That could have been, we'll if fi- only. We'll find out soon enough. <laughs> yes, indeed we will. <laughs> uh, so, the, the huge news... Is mm-hmm. that uh, you? You got your engine back. I got my engine back yesterday. That Good is heavens. that is fantastic. It is fantastic. If I had an uh, applause sound effect sitting right here, it'd be at full volume up oh, to eleven for sure. For sure. Maybe we'll add that in post. There you go. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I um, my. Um, my buddy, my good buddy Randy, and I went out there and picked it up, and um, he had everything was there. It was ready. All the parts that I bought were in boxes. Everything was documented and balanced, and the block just needs a final wash, and it's ready to assemble, which is great news. Um, I was, you know, just looking at all these parts for an hour yesterday, just reveling in their presence. In disbelief. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly, in disbelief. But the nice thing is, is that he, he documented everything that he bought and everything 
that he was going to put into it has been documented. And the final compression ratio has been calculated based on the gasket type and um, the head volume and the piston um, uh, design and all that good stuff. Um, is this the original 67 block to the car? No, it's a 68 block. 68 block. The, six, the original was long gone and because um, the, the car was found in a field in Oklahoma just completely stripped of everything. So, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. so I don't even know how much original sheet metal is on it for Pete's sake. But, um, but yeah, it's a 68 block. It's, it's a correct YS block. Um, it's just a model year newer. So uh, for a for a '68 GTO 400, that's what this would have been. Automatic car automatic. as well. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, the right proper on. the proper block. Yeah. Which I found interesting because you texted me over a couple of photographs, uh, mm -hmm. including your box of pistons, which are labeled mm -hmm. as small block General Motors. Yeah, I know <laughs> it's it's weird, but they're they're the right ones. They're the uh, Race Tech uh, pistons. And uh, they they were for um, uh, Pontiac. Uh, what what does it say? 400, 400, 428, 455 Yep, is what they're designed to fit. So yep, small block GM stuff right there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mundo. All the all the Pontiac guys right now are their heads are exploding hearing yes. that. Yes, yes. <laughs> so sorry, fellas, it wasn't my doing. <laughs> uh, well, at the same time, there you know the the big faux pas when you say there's a big block Pontiac. So yeah. maybe it's less of a. It's not really a small block either. It's just a block. Right, right, yeah. right. The same block from sixty, from fifty-five till what seventy-nine, eighty. Yeah. So, and uh, so good parts. Uh, the connecting yeah. rods are nice. H beam rods. Yeah, yeah. The Eagle uh, steel H beam rod, forged rods, um, and it's an Eagle forged crank as well with a four and a quarter stroke. Right on. So, yeah. what's our uh, final displacement going to be with the bore? Four sixty-one. It'll be, it's a four one fifty five bore and then four and a quarter stroke. Nice, nice. Yeah, not too bad. No, it looks great. The uh, the handful of pictures you sent over the block work, you know, from a camera phone looks fantastic. Yeah, it's 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 stellar. I mean, for for the for the the bagging I've been doing on this guy, just for the time factor alone, he does. I mean, outstanding top shelf work, and I can't. I will never complain about. The mm -hmm. quality of work he puts out is it's just the the back burner is what I couldn't take anymore. Right. So, no. And and I I yeah. I hope and I like him as a person. He's a he's a cool guy. He's a nice guy. Yeah. And he just you know took too long. So right. And what it is. Hopefully in our you know ribbing over the past year and a half or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think I don't think we ever you know, intentionally tried to say he did poor work or anything. It was right. just this time. Just time. Yeah. I never said anything that wasn't true. Right. Never. Not once. So, uh, so. that's cool. So you got everything home and, and now what? Mm -hmm. Well, now, well, it's at my buddy Randy's place. He, he's, he has a climate controlled garage, so nothing will, it won't sweat or get cold or anything like that. So Perfect. And it, everything is oiled up and bagged, which is nice. Um, so the next, the next, uh, step is, I need to get bearings, uh, rod bearings and main bearings and rings, and we can put the rotating assembly together. And, uh, well, I need to final wash the block and paint the block with, you know, some quality stuff. And, yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I would do that. <laughs> yes, exactly. And um, I got to take my intake and my timing cover 
and the valley pan and all, all those other miscellaneous parts over to be blasted and be painted and um, get gaskets, get bolts, and start screwing everything together. Right on, right on. So that's that's my those are the next steps, and then get motor mounts and an engine harness and about ten thousand dollars worth of miscellaneous little knick knacks. Yeah, right. And, so and I'll be ready to go. Are you running? Uh, you gonna run good hardware? You running ARP bolts in it and all that stuff? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Sweet. Yeah. Oh, and I still have to figure out a cam solution as right. well. I don't have that settled yet. Um, so my uh, my initial thoughts on putting that thing back together, seeing that the machinist didn't do a dry fit with bearings because you're getting bearings, um, even though it's a new crank and new rods, technically an out of the box bearing should to a stock spec. I'm gathering, right? Yes. Yeah, that that technically should be fine. Um, mm -hmm. but I would check everything there too. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. He, he was talking to me about that as well. And he says that he'll, he, he won't, he doesn't like to run two thou of clearance in a, in a street block. He wants it at one thou, but stock bearings will typically will maybe give you two thou. So he'll use one, he'll buy two sets of bearings for the rods, a regular set and an X set, which is a little tighter and he'll maybe mix and match. Mm -hmm. Put an X side and a regular side, and give you that one thou clearance. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, I'll you know I'll definitely get a set and see where see where I show up, see where it ends up, and uh, make a decision if I have to get a, an X set as well. So one thing that I uh, a neat trick that I learned from uh, Bill Travato at BTR Performance, who built the uh, turbocharged custom stroker Oldsmobile engine that we did in the S seventy one Olds, is um, and you can see this in the video series, uh, put the um, crank in with the bearings and torque the mains with the crank alone and no rear main seal. Okay, and right. And spin it over. And in his case, on that S71 block, you could spin the crank and it, it would just spin. I mean, at mm. full torque, it was beautiful. There was not a bind mm. anywhere. And then you take the rear out, put the rear main seal in, and try it again and mm -hmm. that will tell you if your rear main is fitted properly because i'm assuming uh, you're using a modern neoprene yes seal yes, yeah for sure uh, especially if you're doing a rope seal because those are the worst i, I don't recommend right. using those anywhere but mm -hmm. they will add all kinds of bind to that crank and you might think it's a bad bearing clearance problem right when in fact it's just a seal mm -hmm. so then mm -hmm. pop that seal out again and then put your rods together and then you can feel the drag on the piston rings and all that stuff as you put those right. together not having to factor in the drag of the seal and then put the seal in again at the end oh i got you as you're doing it, it's all about trying to figure out the feel and if something doesn't feel right it's probably mm -hmm. not you know so right you don't want to go down the road thinking that you've got a a rod bearing or something binding up because you can gauge it with plastic gauge and it's going to look fine <laughs> right and then all of a sudden right. you find out later it was the crappy seal on the back of the block that's dragging you mm -hmm. down mm -hmm. yeah testing everything as you go step by step and verifying results so yeah that makes perfect sense yeah or the, the opposite is you put the bearings in by themselves and the crank doesn't turn and then yeah, you say that would be bad yeah then what then what well in your yeah. case <laughs> then what and then we measure you me well yeah you measure and maybe you adjust that 
bearing size up or down. And, and um, so I, I've seen it in the past where um, something can happen to a crank that's just been hanging around a shop. You know, right. somebody tipped it over or something like yeah, that, and it's yeah. brand new, but now it might need a, uh, you know, a one thou cleanup job on it just to bring it around. Right. So. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, I, I definitely know where you're coming from. Here's a, a, a fun fact on crankshafts that I, I read, and I, I'm not saying it's true, but I do kind of believe it, about uh, top fuel cranks. Mm -hmm. So a top fuel dragster that's making, you know, 7,000 horsepower, right. they claim in this thing that I read, it was supposed to be an NHRA fun fact thing, that uh, a crankshaft in a top fuel engine will twist longitudinally up to 20 degrees really? at full tilt. Yeah, so they, they, wow. they suggest that they actually offset grind the cam. So that when the crank is in full twist, the cam timing is correct. Is right on. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah. Physics, man. Physics. Yeah. It's unbelievable if that's the case because that's a you know monster billet crankshaft. Oh, yeah. Holy cow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those NHRA uh, top fuel facts are fun. There's a lot of neat ones about the amount of fuel consumption they use. and it's, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, or like the, the other one that was kind of neat is uh, one top fuel dragster makes more power than the first 10 rows of a NASCAR race. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that too. I've heard that too. That's yeah. nuts. Yeah. <laughs> so, Oh, brother. So now you're, uh, you're back to ordering a few parts. Yes. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. So we'll get, we'll get going on that pretty soon. And hopefully when the weather's nice, I might be able to start something up and you know, harass the neighbors a little bit. So you're going to do the work? You're going to screw it together? Yes. Yeah, my buddy Randy and I are probably going to do the work. Awesome. Just, yeah, it, it'll be... Randy! It'll be... It'll be good. <laughs> I don't know if they picked that up. <laughs> Did you hear that? I just heard, Randy! <laughs> <laughs> Is that your executive producer over there? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 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 You're grounded, producer. <laughs> All right, that wasn't him, was it? <laughs> no. My buddy Randy, he's, he, he, oh, he's six good. years old, you know. Ah, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh, let me mark this edit now. It's, an, it's another way. You should probably leave it in, you know. It's another yeah, one of those. Mom, I'm on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that is too good that's a hell of an outtake right there <laughs> oh lord all right where the hell were we so um and you had the cylinder heads done quite a while ago yes the cylinder heads are done they've been bagged forever did you um, have you driven this car with those heads done no i have not right. not yeah, this will all be brand spanking new. Nice. So I got, I'll have to take those apart, too, to put new valve springs on when I get the cam uh, right. in there as well. So. Um, and you're talking so. a roller cam, hopefully? Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. Mostly for peace of mind. Yep, yep. Well, we talked about that before, so that's all yes, good. We have. And uh, mm -hmm. what intake are you th thinking about putting on this? Just the stock intake. Mm -hmm. Stock cast iron intake for now. So, you know... It, 
in the future, I'd like to I'd like to get alloy heads and an aluminum intake, which would be nice. It'll you know lighten it up quite a bit, um, mm-hmm. and but, uh, pull a lot of heat out of it. Pull a lot of heat out of it. Absolutely. Um, the only thing I'm just I'm really I, I really need to start talking to people about my cam choice, just because the compression ratio is going to be the final the static compression ratio is going to be about ten point three to one, and I'm that's really putting me at the outer limits of of pump gas and so i know that tuning and timing and cam valve timing is, is going to be critical for uh for the life of this engine so i really need to do this the right way and i am and i don't know enough about about cam timing to really make the decision on my own so i'll definitely need to consult people who know what they're talking about mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on this deal. So I think the, the trick there is that um, cam preferences, you know, sure they're mat- they're mathematical, but they're also so subjective about what people either yeah. like, or they think they like, or they know, mm-hmm. or they think they know. So uh-huh. it, there's still a huge, amount of people out there who buy a camshaft for the way it idles. Yeah. Yeah. You know, God dang it. and then there's people <laughs> that buy camshafts because they make peak power at 7,500 RPM and they don't right. do anything below that. Sure. Uh, sure. And then there's people that, you know, would suggest, you know, like a, the old RV grind, you know, which is uh, right. a lot of cylinder pressure nice. and a lot of torque. Yeah. And that, that can <clears throat> scare people away because they think, well, I don't want a Winnebago. I've got a muscle car. Right. <laughs> you know, but that could be a good cam. You know? Yeah, I, I definitely get those those arguments uh, of why people pick their cam choice. I mean, for me, I just want it to not detonate is, is my biggest concern. Yeah, so then you want to get just, aluminum heads. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> say I couldn't get aluminum heads. Yeah. I mean, and then, well, so, I mean... And, and the reasoning there is that the aluminum just dissipates the heat so much that at that yeah. compression ratio, yeah. you probably wouldn't have a problem. Yeah, um, I, I, yeah, you can run a, probably a, a point higher, a full point higher with aluminum heads than, than cast iron and still be safe. Uh, which leads me to, you know, are you shopping for pre-owned stuff? Um, I haven't been, no. You know, because so. a lot of times, you know, racing junk or Craigslist or even the Facebook groups, you know, you'll find guys that are bailing out of things and, uh, you know, yeah. you might find a deal on some. Yeah, I might. It's it's a good point. It's a real good point. Yeah, you know, I can, I'll definitely look at that. I didn't even think about used stuff. The intake for sure. You can probably yeah. find a used Edelbrock aluminum intake. Mm-hmm. There's probably 20 of them for sale right now, you know. Yeah. But heads well, are those, even different. brand new, those are pretty cheap. Yeah. Those, are, those are pretty affordable. It's those stinking heads that they don't give away. No, no, they don't. So, they don't. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so that's yeah, cool. I, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty excited. I, uh, I was telling my wife last night. I said, just, just really, you know, I've been kind of bummed out about this whole thing for a while, just kind of on a low, and getting that back really kind of re-energized me. And just seeing all that hardware, I'm like, oh my, my God, I might be able to drive this car again this year. This would be fantastic. It would. It's been down for almost three years for crying out loud. So, what um, do you know anything about the torque converter in the car? It's the stock converter. Uh-huh. It's, I, I believe it is. I, I, I mean, it's a it's a it's a turbo 400. I'm assuming it's just a, a stock, pretty low stall uh, converter. 
And it's a it's a pretty uh, high geared rear end because it's an AC car as well. So so like a three forty two three fifty five. No, it's probably a it's probably a, a two ninety three. Oh 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 yeah. oh 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 yeah. yeah high gear load. Yep yep, yep 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 yeah oh, yeah yeah because I know like most of the GM cars the AC cars were three forty two and down. Mm-hmm. Not numerically. So, right. Yeah. So you're going to keep that gear. Right. Yeah, yeah. For now, yeah. Yeah. So I would look at a converter as well. Okay. All right. Because you're going to choke that camshaft and uh, the bottom half of the torque curve, if it's trying to gag that thing down at 800 RPM, especially with that gear uh-huh. in the back. I got gotcha. you. Okay. All right. So, yeah, maybe make a few phone calls. Call the guys at TCI and call the guys at Comp and uh, talk to your Pontiac buddies. And mm-hmm. The other mm-hmm. thing about mm-hmm. torque converters is there's a misconception of the, you know, the stall speed. You know, a lot of people uh-huh. look at it and say, okay, well, I bought a torque converter and it's, uh, uh, you know, 3,000 stall. Mm-hmm. They think that it's like dumping the clutch at three grand. Like it, like there's uh, nothing until 3,000 and then bam, right. there it is. And that's right. not, not the case at all. Um, right. It will start to grab earlier. Mm-hmm. There's an interesting thing with like the 4L60s and some of the late model stuff that a 3,000 RPM stall converter, which you would stay away from on the street in a more traditional mm-hmm. car, that's kind of like where these things start. And, and they, really? they feel like a 2000 stall in an older transmission. Really? It's a weird deal. Yeah. And we, we've done a bunch of them in different cars. Um, but in your case, if that got bumped up to, uh, you know, an 1800 or a 2000 or maybe a 2200, uh, it'll make it feel like a totally different car and, and keep the engine in its happy range without sitting there and winding out to high RPM right. before it goes anywhere, which you don't want. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I know that it's not it's not going to be a a high RPM uh, uh, car. Right, right. I mean, probably fifty five hundred is probably where I would I would stop. I mean, I, I wanted to make it strong enough to where if I beat on it, I, I don't have to worry about it. I mean, it's definitely this is definitely overbuilt for what I really need. Yeah, well, so. and the other cool thing is now you've got increased uh, displacement too, so that's going to mm-hmm. have an effect on everything. Sure, absolutely, it, absolutely. So it'll, it'll, I just want to never have to take it apart ever again so that's yes. that's my goal and I, I will clarify that you will never want to have to take it apart <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there might be a time when you want to take it apart and right. change something or whatnot but yeah i'm with you you want to be able to just turn the key and, and, and just go enjoy that yeah. side of life for a while mm-hmm. yeah yeah but, i've had enough of taking it apart so right well that's awesome so i'm sure you'll keep us posted uh, for sure. Sounds like we got some meat for a forum thread finally. We might, yeah. I was just that just came to my mind just before you said that. I'm like, ooh, I got to update the forum. Yeah, so. yeah, right on. Good. So everybody else can see the the cool pictures that you texted mm-hmm, me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. The uh, the other thing that I thought was interesting about uh, uh, Trevor and his superbly stellar uh, adjective, of course, stellar. Uh-huh referring to the stars, and we had another cool thing happen this past week, which was the SpaceX launch with the Tesla Roadster in space. Which Yes, Starman. How yeah, about that? I thought that was just insane. That was the coolest yeah, thing is. I've seen in a long, long time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like Buck Rogers coming to life, for Pete's sake. 
it really did look like the beginning of Buck Rogers when he's frozen. <laughs> <laughs> for 500 years buck yeah Rogers exactly across the universe yeah uh it, that was super cool and and the other thing that i instantly thought of was the beginning of the heavy metal film with the 59 corvette that comes down from space yes and yes lands. the thing that kind of sucks is uh i don't think a lot of people understand really what happened um, okay there i don't know if you've seen any feedback from anything on on social media or heard any reports about what all went down uh, that, that no, we all got okay. to see. So the very short version is that um, Elon Musk and the SpaceX company, it's a company he started in 2002. Uh, mm -hmm. He's been doing this for a while. And Elon Musk, you know, people were saying, oh, some rich guy launched his car into space because he owns Tesla and it's a big mm -hmm. publicity stunt and it's all a bunch of wasted time and, and all this crap, right? Right. And the reality is um, Musk made all of his money initially as co-founding PayPal. Mm -hmm. So he's, he's got the resources. Yeah, he's definitely a rich guy. Uh, but the mission was to kind of pick up uh, commercial space travel and space utility where NASA kind of left off. And, right. and when we kind of look back in history, not to go on a giant tangent, um, <clears throat> but, uh, you know, NASA uh, and, the, and the Soviets um, in the 50s uh, started space travel. And, and the, the whole thing was that, you know, in my view is, you know, people in general, the human race isn't, isn't that far off from being an animal. And, and I'll, I'll preface that by saying um, we have this us and them uh, competitive mentality as part of our, our chemical makeup, mm -hmm. right? You know, they say birds of a sure. feather flock together. Well, we're, right. we're, we're comfortable around things we recognize. And the, the farthest extreme of, you know, unfriendly competition is war. You know, so, yeah. <laughs> but friendly competition is a different thing. And, and after World War II, uh, we kind of, we worked with the Russians to defeat the Germans in World War II. And right. that ended in, you know, 1945. So in the late 40s, it was rebuild everything. But in the 50s, uh, we had all this new technology that was developed in World War II. And we had talented people that were trained in the military and the war efforts. And so... You had companies like, like General Motors and General Dynamics and Boeing and all these companies in the 50s that now have capabilities and they're run in a, with military precision uh, that the technology became, let's, let's launch rockets. And, and really, the Germans were launching rockets in World War II for bad reasons, yeah. uh, you know, to bomb people. But uh, uh, the Americans created uh, a, a space program out of the Air Force. So it was initially kind of a government thing, which evolved into NASA, which is basically a civilian operation. Right. Because um, it's too bad, but you, your, your high school recruiter that comes to recruit people for the armed forces doesn't say, do you want to go to the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, or NASA? You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? That'd be great. Because you'd have been there. <laughs> yeah, I probably would have. <laughs> for sure. Uh, the Soviets, on the other hand, it was a full-on government, military-run space program. And where I'm going with all this is that it, it created kind of a friendly competition between the countries to, to increase technology and to have bragging rights and to develop new stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, the Cold War was kind of part of the deal, unfortunately, where we still didn't really trust each other. And, 
You know, right. we were trained to think that nuclear war was just, you know, five minutes away at any time. Oh, yeah. But the culmination became the goal that Kennedy set out to, to go to the moon by the end of the decade of the 60s. Mm-hmm. So uh, the Russians beat us on every step except getting there, basically. Mm-hmm. First, first satellite, first man in space, first dog in space, right. first woman in space, first mm-hmm. photos of the backside of the moon, first moon sa- rock samples, uh, all ki- first Mars probe, all this stuff was first uh, uh, space walk, first space uh, a rover vehicle. That was all Russians. I mean, these guys were on it. And then we end up getting to the moon first and kind of claimed everything. <laughs> and so we win, <laughs> which was cool. We win. Yeah, that's it. Uh, that's it. So you got to give them credit for what they did. Um, but I think that, and, and, and nothing, and I wasn't alive yet, but it seems like to me, nothing in modern history brought the world together like the moon landing. Yeah, it, I, I would agree. Yeah, the whole world was watching that it was i mean that was the only thing on everyone's mind was watching that that moon launch and everything and 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 everyone's tv sets you know right exactly and it was neat because and you can look at look this up um and i don't know why this was very wasn't publicized but on the initial uh moon landing we left some stuff on the moon some plaques and and there's an image of man and there's some uh, uh, words, but there's also kind of an early version of a, I don't want to call it a microchip, but it's a uh, silicon chip that has super tiny text inscribed into it um, mm-hmm. to fit a lot of words on a tiny little thing. And the, the contents of that text is well wishes from almost every country on earth. Really? Yes. And you can go to uh, NASA's website and, and search it out. You'll find it. They, I think it's 120 pages long wow. um, of, of, you know, all these countries that were first political allies of ours. You know, China's not there and I don't think Russia's there, but just huh. about everybody else is uh, saying huh. this is a tremendous achievement for man. And, and some of them congratulate the United States and congratulate the astronauts in particular uh, Armstrong and, and Aldrin mm-hmm. uh, and Collins for being up there. But the the neatest thing is, again, it brought everybody together. Well, after Apollo 11 and the moon landing, uh, you had several more missions that, you know, 13 didn't make it, but a couple more did. Right. And I think the downside is that we didn't come back. You know, the first one, the big triumph was getting there. The second time, we did not come back with like, the secret of the universe, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and I think the public was like expecting, you know, because people are, are short attention span, even in 1970, you know, they expected that we were going to come back with some equally uh, uh, lofty achievement going there again. And so by the third and fourth times we went to the moon, a lot of uh, people on earth started to say, Hey, we're spending a lot of money on this and we're not really seeing what we're getting back in return. Right. And there's people starving in the street and we're at war in Vietnam and there's political unrest, you know? So it became a little bit politically unfavorable to spend the kind of money it takes to get there. So, uh, the, the moon lunar program, Apollo program ended. And in the late seventies, NASA tried to come up with a more practical, uh, space program, which was the shuttle, which was designed mm-hmm. to bring things into orbit and leave them there like space stations and satellites for communications and, uh, 
And today, this conversation is possible because of those trips. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, but again, the downside is when you and I were younger, we both probably watched the shuttle mission, the first one, go live. Oh, yeah. You know? For sure. They stopped tel- uh, classrooms and yeah. business stopped again all over the world to watch uh, John Young, who, who unfortunately just recently passed away, and Robert Crippen, pilot oh. STS-1, uh, Space Shuttle Columbia, right, into right. into space. And it became kind of commonplace to where pretty soon these things weren't even publicized anymore. You yeah, it, it's, it's almost a shame that it almost became passe. Right. And, and in the 90s and in the, you know, early 2000s, it's like, oh, yeah, a shuttle mission. You know, unless there was the, the unfortunate couple disasters, mm-hmm. you know, many of these missions were just nobody knew. Nobody cared that they weren't getting the kids excited about it. So, yeah. so you had that happen. At the same time, uh, the very same technology that helped these missions happen uh, helped create our Hollywood scene where we can now create images that are so realistic about anything mm-hmm. that people are skeptical of everything they see, right? Yeah, because you can watch yes. a Star Wars film and it it there there is no indicator that this is not real, right? <laughs> Outside of the yeah, fact it, that you know it's not real, you know, <laughs> right? It's great trickery, <laughs> right? So when you have video games and and computer images and social media stuff that that looks like otherworldly. Uh, and then couple that with this, uh, um, you know, NASA program, at least that that dwindled. Uh, and then eventually, ironically, you know, we were working with the Russians to use their rockets to put our stuff right. up and we rent time and pay the Russians to do it. So here comes Elon Musk, who says, all right. Uh, and he's not a natural. He's not an American. He's from South Africa. Originally, it's just he chose to do this stuff here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So he says, hey, you know. I remember being excited about the space program and if the political climate didn't do what it did, where would we be today? You know, if we, we kept advancing and advancing and advancing and if everybody was behind us, um, it seems like the development has dwindled twice, you know, first with the rocket program and second with the shuttle program. Right. And it's so expensive now to pay the Russians and to work with other countries, but we need we need satellites to go up. We need this research and and his goal, he wants to go to Mars. So he created a SpaceX program purely to be a commercial vehicle so that, you know, cue ball industries could hire him to <laughs> launch your, your Pontiac satellite up into space. Right. Right. And not have to work with a government organization to do it. Mm-hmm. And the neat thing is that technology has come so far that, he says, for economic reasons, we can make this stuff reusable. And the video of these rockets that he launches, they come down and land. Whoa. <laughs> How off the hook was that? That and, and he's been doing it for a little while trying to get those going. So that, to me, is even beyond the science fiction. Of, totally. Totally. Yes. Because I don't think there's a Star Wars film that lands a rocket standing straight nope. up. <laughs> No, there is not. <laughs> right. So so this demonstrates that if you push it, you can achieve things that are unimaginable. Yeah. And uh, the, the the bummer is that, okay, so the, this past week when he launched his, uh, his Falcon Heavy rocket, uh, the mission was to put, not only launch the rockets 
Uh, it had two boosters. He wanted those to land. It had a mm-hmm. center unit that was also supposed to come back and land, but that one unfortunately got lost. Um, but he needed to demonstrate that this rocket would carry a heavy payload into space so that mm-hmm. he could rent it out to future customers. Right. And you don't take a paying payload on the first shot untried. Right. And it's very hard to get somebody to say, sure, you can take my heavy stuff. Yeah, test it out with my million-dollar satellite. Right. Absolutely. Or billion-dollar satellite. Or billion-dollar, god dang it. So uh, uh, NASA used to put um, concrete and rocks and just ballast right. weight. Like a steel payload or something. Yeah, something sure. to mimic the load. Yeah. And that's not very exciting. No, it's not. Right? Because, right. because every one of those test launches happened, and you and I didn't even know or care. Right. So Elon Musk says, hey, well, I have to have this car company, and the payload we're talking about is about the size of this Roadster, so I'll just stick one of those in there to get people excited to watch it. And mm-hmm. that's where the brilliance comes in. So this, there, there mm-hmm. is a small amount, obviously, of uh, publicity he wanted to gain for the Tesla company sure. and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. But it's not like it's some guy who said, hey, look, I got all the money in the world. I'm just going to create this technology and shoot it up into space for no reason. Right. You're right. Just to piss all my money away. Just what the hell. Right. And yeah. because we have a generation of younger people that grew up post-space shuttle and post-space program excitement that are mm-hmm. so inundated with fake imagery or, or synthesized imagery, we have all these people saying that, that what you just saw last week never happened. Oh, good Lord. And they're all naysayers saying that this this image of, of Starman behind the wheel of that Roadster looks so cheesy and fake. Well, the reason why it does is because it's it's like a GoPro camera on a <laughs> in space, yeah. you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's not Lucasfilm with a million spaceships flying around and right, exactly. There's not a lot of production value there, right? Because it's yeah. it actually happened, and and uh-huh. not only that. So you so you've got the the naysayers and saying it's fake, and then you've got the other side saying it's a waste of time, and they don't realize mm-hmm. that the only way that they could share their opinion about it being a waste of time is because previous missions happened to create that technology that they're using. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. 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 But nobody acknowledges that. No. And that, that's my frustration. I know this is a yeah. show where we talk about cars. Well, the Tesla Roadster, yeah. you know, so, so that's the other side of the story is that as Tesla goes as a car company, I'm not really sure I'm sold on yet. Um, you know, right. Musk had the ability to get all, he's got true believers, you know, he, he does, he's got like the, the iPhone crowd, <laughs> the and, early adopters. Well, and they're willing to pony up thousands of dollars to buy a car that doesn't exist yet, uh, yeah. you know, to invest in the next model, which is, it's uh-huh. tremendous that he has those, those followers. Yeah. Um, the downside is that his company really isn't making any money. Uh, and it's uh-huh. using a lot of your money and my money to do it, <laughs> you know, and government funds. Um, and there's also the whole debate about electric versus, you know, mm. or organic fuels and, right. and and all that, which I don't know that we need to get into here. So, yeah, I do. I mean, from, from a from a technology standpoint, I, I like what he's doing and I I believe he's advancing the uh, longevity of what a battery can do and the conditions that it can operate optimally in, like versus cold and, and extreme heat. And I, and from a guy who likes to see the advance of technology, I, I really dig it. Mm-hmm. I think it's fantastic that he's really grasping onto that and, and really advancing battery technology um, versus 
um, you know, continuing to burn fossil fuels and using natural resources to do that. So, I mean, I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm not a tree hugger, but I do like to see as, as little pollution in the air as possible. Cause we all, you know, we all got to breathe and we all got to be there. So, mm-hmm. but again, so, you know, what do you charge those batteries with? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's that. There's that. <laughs> Fossil fuels and other stuff. Fossil fuels from power plants, or, or you have the, the nuclear option, or, you know, if the, if the advent of solar reaches to point where you could have a, you know, some solar arrays charging your batteries, and then you're truly off the grid. And mm-hmm. so, seeing that kind of stuff advance really turns me on as well. Yeah, totally. And and the performance of his cars is phenomenal. Oh yeah. Uh, that ludicrous I- mode. Huh. That's, That's a, crazy. You know, I think next to the uh, the demon, it's like the fastest car you can buy. That's yeah, it's right? crazy. And yeah. uh, you know, now he's talking about doing trucks and and you know, yeah, larger vehicles and uh, so so that you know that is all fascinating. Uh-huh. Um, at the same time, you, you start to wonder about the uh, you know the sustainability and and our government isn't investing directly in these types of programs but they're doing it through people like him so maybe this is research that needs to happen if you're a fan of the the car program or not mm-hmm. you know uh to your point um that we all want a cleaner environment and and the whole mm-hmm. thing so it, it's tough to say uh the the naysayers i think you know of course the the major automakers are kind of spooked that he's been able to do what he's been able to do and, mm-hmm. and change the whole business model. And that's why they're trying yeah. to outlaw his dealerships because right. of the political business models that there's a law that the manufacturer can't sell direct to the public. And he says, yeah. who cares? And Yeah, he's upsetting a lot of apple carts. He is. And, and I think yeah. the coolest part about it is that he is che- he's chosen to do this in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, because today, you know, he could be doing this in a number of different places. Totally could be, um, yeah. but I think the the U.S. Uh, business and government finance backing climate is far stronger. You know, I don't think the government of Mexico would in, have invested tax dollars into his program the way we did. So, yeah. you know, he's a he's definitely a sharp guy. He is a sharp guy. Yeah, he knows how to make money. Uh, yes, and and knows how to lose it too at the same time. Yeah, knows how to lose it because <laughs> they they're losing billions <laughs> over there at Tesla. But you know it, it's it's still moving forward. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it's an interesting uh, an interesting thing. Uh, we have a uh, potential car customer that has talked to us about doing a uh, a Cuda that's Tesla powered. Really? Yes. So there's a company wow. in Atlanta that has uh, cracked the code on really? the Tesla drive modules. And the way these cars work is you have a box that basically has the, um, the electric motor and the gearbox is in one box. And that was, that was his design idea, which was pretty slick. So if, if you envision the Tesla car platform, it's almost like how a, a slot car used to be. Uh, on a you know on a scale raceway because you take the body off one and put a different body on it and the base doesn't change right. sure. you know maybe the wheelbase is a little different um, but underneath they're just a, r- a row of batteries and they're the electric motors so the problem is every component of this car is connected digitally together so if you take one piece of the puzzle away it doesn't work okay 
So it needs the dash. And, and most new cars are like this too. You know, the, the computer needs to see the gauges and needs to see the, the safety, the seatbelt module and all that stuff to, right. to run. Um, but it's far more advanced than a Tesla. And in a Tesla, the car finds a signal basically wherever it goes and checks to see that it's okay to work over the internet through the mothership, you know, basically. Wow. So, so these guys in Atlanta have been able to get a Tesla power module to run and be controllable without the car. There's uh, they, they worked with a guy, I believe, in Switzerland to write the code to, to crack the, uh, the code. So what they've been able to do is get a couple of wrecked Teslas, transplant the module, and build their own electric you know, super bad vehicles. Sure. And wow. uh, I talked to these guys out at SEMA. In fact, I did an interview with one of the gentlemen from one of the companies um, that I'll put a link to about this technology. And I said to him as a hot rodder, you know, what if we take a, uh, an old muscle car and throw a four wheel drive, you know, two motored uh, Tesla driveline in it. Now you got something that could possibly do zero to 60 and nothing and have this modern drivability and not have that same, you know, fuel requirement. And he said, yeah, well, right. give us a call in a couple of weeks because we're about to have the four-wheel drive version hacked as well. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yes. Oh, I'd be, I, I would watch that all day long. Yeah, so um, our customer owns a Tesla and he also owns a Hellcat. And no he, he gets cars and understands how this stuff goes. So we've, you know, we've kicked around the idea about how cool would that be. And then it's slowly I'm presenting him with realities like, okay, well, I found a donor car. And, and here's this guy with this technology. Yeah. Uh, you know, we'll see if, uh, you know, how much he likes this idea, if he's willing to, you know, invest in doing it. Um, uh -huh. I think it'd be super bad, you know. It'd be I think it would be super bad. Yes, sir. <laughs> That'd be a game changer. They'd be right on the cutting edge of that deal. It, it would be fun. And 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 Trevor and Tyler and our, our our mechanic team at the shop, they're all excited about it. Uh and again, we're we're looking there's going to be a significant pushback, you know, about ruining the car cuz today, you know how it is, if you put an LS motor yeah. in a GTO, you're ostracized. Uh, <laughs> Imagine well, this. That part's right. <laughs> See, <laughs> um, you know who knows what people would say about this, because uh, a lot of them think that that Elon Musk is nothing but a con man trying to you know make money off these parts with no intent of of being in the business. But I I, I don't know. I know I don't really have that standpoint. Well, I would disagree with that. He's putting out a product. People are buying it. It's a great. I mean. For, you you have to admit it's a really great product. It's a great concept, and there's there's downsides of it. I I get it, but I, con man is a little strong. I mean, if the guy's losing money, he's a bad con man. Well, the you con I mean? the con comes in that he takes people's money and doesn't deliver the product yet. I see. Uh, because like the Model uh, Three, there you know, he made these grand. Um, uh, predictions that they'd be selling x number of thousands of them in the first year uh -huh. or whatever and, and they're selling tens of them instead of thousands uh, and he can but he's you. still taking sale orders and, and he's blaming suppliers and and outside uh -huh. stuff for the the holdup and the fact that he's having a hard time getting uh plant workers um because the manufacturing plants they're huge and just finding good people and 
and getting mm-hmm. them trained to work at that level all the time is is challenging. I see. Uh, so and and he's taking the government money and you know your money mm-hmm. and my money and again maybe not delivering all the stuff that he intended to. I see. So that's that's where that you know. So well, but at the, at the same time though he's he's using um, he he's doing stuff like SpaceX also. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Well, there's that. Yeah, it's cool. I don't know. I think we need people like that that put a value on technology, uh-huh. put a value on pushing the envelope. Uh, as we record this, the Olympics are on. And, right. and uh, I saw the same thing. Some guy wrote a letter to a talk radio show saying, you know, this is stupid. I don't get why we're putting such a big deal on one skier that goes 500 thousandths of a second faster than another skier. And, uh-huh. and, and what he's missing is that humans need challenges to excel. Yeah. And if you don't get challenged, you don't advance. And this guy in his letter specifically said, can't we all just work on getting along and eliminating competition so that, you know, everything is easy? And it's like, no. Uh, no. That's going backwards, pal. Yeah. Who wants easy? Well, in the, and, and by if a few people excel and push the envelope, it does become easier for everybody. Mm-hmm. And new things I, happen. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. You, you definitely need competition. It Other people see somebody striving and they say, wow, look what he, I didn't think that was possible. Right. Let, maybe I should try this too. And then you have more people trying to achieve greatness. Who knows? Maybe they surpassed that person they saw and they never knew that they, they had that capability. So yeah, easy, Puh. Well, and even, you know, so for example, I'm not going to strap on a luge and go 80 miles an hour feet first down a a mountain flume. But Uh part of me says, well, what are my challenges? Well, my challenges are I got all these things to do this week. We got to get this car done. We got to do this video or whatever. And I say, well, if that guy can do that, maybe I can get my junk done. (laughs) Maybe I can get my act together. (laughs) That's how I get the inspiration. It's like this guy is doing that. Maybe I could do this. Totally. Right. Uh, yeah, and I get it. It, it was funny. It. So the, the luge competition was on in our local sandwich shop. And Kelly and I went and got lunch yesterday. And one of the sandwich shop uh, employees was saying, I wonder how this luge racing even started. You know, when, when did it start? When did people decide to race these sleds? And I said, when they built the second one. <laughs> right on exactly you know exactly it doesn't when matter did car start racing when the second one rolled off the line that's, that's exactly when. right you know as soon as there was two of anything we raced them <laughs> perfect <Yeah>. perfect <laughs> all right well so that was uh how you know interestingly enough trailer trailer trevor predicted a stellar show and here we talk yes. about the, the stars Almost interstellar, Kevin. Oh, oh, uh, uh, Trevor. Oh, oh, oh. Interstellar. Yes. Ooh, out. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we've. Uh, if anybody's still awake, maybe we yeah. should get to our uh, our trivia question answers. <clears throat> yes. Yes, indeed. Maybe. Maybe. Let's do that. All right. Kevin, I asked you what was the official name of the Buick portholes on the sides of the. Uh, Buick fenders, and you said uh, they were called ventiports, Mike, and uh, absolutely correct. They were ventiports. Ding, 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 ding. And, I, and as a bonus, 
I asked, what model year did they debut? And you said 1949. And I actually think it's 48 now, but. Again, you are correct. It was 1949 model year. Yes, sir. Wow. Yes, sir. The designer put them on his own car in 1948. Ah. Just to, to see what it was like, I guess. And uh, then they Buick picked it up for 49. Right on. So happy, happy, joy, joy. Well done, Kevin. Well hey, thank done. Thank you. How about that? I feel good. I've been out of the saddle for a while on winning these yeah. things. So. Well, I've been kind of a jag off about questions. That's okay. Too, I so. was this week. So yeah. uh, my question to you was, there was a new Mustang for 94, and before it hit the streets, there was a prototype car that um, had something special about it, which, in fact, ended up not being the production Mustang. What was the thing that was special about it and what did it end up becoming and -hmm. you said it was the two-seater was the unique aspect Mm -hmm. which kind of makes sense you know a Mustang could possibly have been a two-seater and then Mm -hmm. you said it was a Thunderbird and the Thunderbird was a two-seater and was being revived in that time period so kind of Uh, the reality was the prototype 94 Mustang was supposed to be front-wheel drive Oh, you're kidding me. Yes, and that was the response. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that is the appropriate yeah. response. The public said, no way, pal. So the prototype 94 Mustang front drive car became the 94 Ford Probe. Ford Probe. God dang it. Yeah, and the now, pro- you know what? Now that you say that, that's kind of jog loose. A couple of uh, <laughs> synapses in my brain. I think I kind of remember that. Yeah, from yeah. Way back so the, in the, day. the the probe came out in '88, I think, or '89 initially, yeah. and and uh, it was kind of on its course. And uh, Ford thought, you know, maybe the Mustang needs to be this front drive platform too. And they developed the whole car. Well, that whole car became the new probe. So, mm, mm, mm. And that would have been a big mistake. It would have been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And interestingly enough, the 94 Mustang, that they call it the SN95 platform, um, they really just kind of said, well, if it ain't wrong, you know, don't ain't broke, don't fix it. So it shares a few things with the previous Mustang, just reskinned it and uh, refined it a little bit, and there you go. So, Right on. Cool, cool, cool. Yes, sir. Great question, Kev. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. Sure you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I feel your, your apology. Yeah, well, the good thing is you got your motor back. Yeah, that is the good news. That, yeah, that yeah. makes this, this staggering loss not sting so much. There, there you go. <laughs> Overselling that a bit. Well, since we're talking about the Olympics, the, the agony of defeat. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, if you enjoyed uh, our episode today, um, you can hopefully maybe see some pictures of Mikey's engine project on the V8 forum, vatvshow.com slash forum under the uh, member rides section. And uh, you can also subscribe to the show through iTunes, Stitcher Radio. You can listen on the TuneIn Radio app or Google Play. And of course, you can always go to v8radio.com. So uh, as always, it was a fun one. Indeed. Thanks for the time and uh, keep keep it under 100. (laughs) Right on. (laughs) 